Today's scripture comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Uh, this is the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and <clears throat> they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. As a children's and youth pastor uh, for the past decade, uh, you know, I, today I want to share a message with you that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the importance of passing down the faith to the next generation and uh, how we can do that. Um, <clears throat> one of the persistent questions and worries I've received from parents over the years is, is this. Is, I want my children to know Jesus. Okay, and the second part is always, how can I keep them in the church? Especially when they go off. To college, And it's a question or worry that I'm sympathetic to, especially um, now in, in a culture where more and more young people in America um, are checkmarking, you know, with their religious affiliation, none, right? And so, you know, maybe you've heard articles about this, the rise of the nuns, right? Uh, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. Um, and as churches age out in America, many have faced an existential crisis about the viability of their church. And so it is a relevant issue. And so <clears throat> one of the ways to maintain a healthy church is to invest in the next generation. But the question becomes, how do we do that? Right? Several decades ago, um, and still in many corners of the church world, it was thought that in order to keep the youth in our, in our churches, the best practice was to hire a hip, young pa youth pastor and, and create a youth group. Now, Cross out the requirement of being, a, being hip, and that's why I've been employed for a decade almost, right? And to some degree, that makes sense, right? Bring in the professional who can relate the gospel to my kid or, or to the teen. I mean, if you think about it, we kind of already outsource, outsource our kids' education uh, to schools and, you know, various other activities, right, from coaches and tutors, uh, whether it's music tutors or, you know, we put, put them in, like, AAU sports, uh, we do this all the time. And I'd say within the last decade, uh, there's actually been a shift that relying exclusively on the youth group or youth pastor has not had the desired effect to stem the trend of the nuns. Now, I know some of us might be sitting here and saying, hey, wait a minute. I had a youth group and, and a youth pastor, and they were really pivotal in de developing my love for Jesus and the church and my faith. And I'd say, yeah. I have no issues with that, right? That was the same for me. Um, I mean, one, your, your current, one of your current pastors was my youth pastor, okay? Was my former youth pastor, and he was very much instrumental in my faith. So I, I, I do understand that, right? But the reality is, if you're in that boat, you're actually more of an outlier to the greater trend. You're actually more of an outlier, okay? Um, and so, you know, that is a grace that you've received. So, you know, thank the Lord for that. Uh, so now, smarter people 
than me have researched and realized that for faith retention amongst the next generation, the single most important factor is, drum roll, is parents. Okay, I know that was probably a huge letdown. Okay, here you might have been expecting some new and exciting insight, but there's actually nothing new. It's the most obvious common sense piece of wisdom. Okay, great, fine. Okay, I, I, okay, I, I, I knew that, right? But the question is, how, but how do we as parents go about passing down our faith, right? I think that's, that's actually kind of at the heart of these issues. We know it's our job to raise our children unto God, but what does that actually look like? And our passage in Deuteronomy gives us a good framework for that. So let's take a look. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you, you can look at it. So Deuteronomy um, is an interesting book because it's basically uh, Moses' final sermons before Israel was about to enter the promised land after wandering the desert for 40 years. And if you guys know about Moses, like, you know, here he had been like leading uh, Israel out of Egypt and they're wandering the desert for 40 years. And unfortunately, he did not get to enter. God said, you and the older generation, you have been stiff-necked. You guys just don't get to enter. So, like, after all that hard work, it's like, ah, he's, like, right there. He's at the river, like, at Jordan, and he's, like, seeing the promised land on the other side. He's like, you just can't go, Moses. Right? And so, you know, he has Joshua and the younger generation. They're about to enter. And so he gives these final sermons to them. Right? And in one sense, it kind of reads like a goodbye letter from Moses to the people he had led since being freed from Egypt, and if he, and in it, he reminds them of God's promise to them, right, and to their promise to live by God's law. That's one of the things that he does. And in our passage from Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds the people of Israel of who God is. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, basically saying that there is only one God, Yahweh, that you should worship and love and devote yourselves to. Then in verse 7 and 9, this is the relevant part for us. Moses basically tells the Israelites, you shall teach God's laws to your children. And how is Israel to do that? Now, I'm just going to paraphrase and, and put it in our own, you know, in, in modern language. Talk about it when you're at home, when you're going out, when you're going to bed, and when you wake up. Bind God's word as signs on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay. You'll write God's laws on the doorposts of your house. I mean, the modern version of this is like kind of like if you grew up in a Christian home and your parents had those Bible verses framed and mounted on a wall, right? Some of us, you're like, you know, smiling. Maybe it was like the passage from Joshua where it says like, in this household, we believe in God. Maybe you had that one. Okay. Um, now, you might be thinking, all right, cool, but that's really not that helpful. Like that's all that it really takes. Like how is scribbling, you might be looking at the one about the writing the passage and putting it, wrapping it on your arms and having a frontlet. And uh, if, if you know, like uh, if you go to Israel today and uh, if you're at the Wailing Wall, you'll actually see um, uh, Jewish people have that, right? They'll have like scripture literally written down and bound on their arms or they'll have like this little box thing um, and that would be the frontlet, right? You're saying like, how is having a piece of long piece of paper written with scripture on it and writing it on my children's hand supposed to keep them in the church or how, putting frontlets on their eyes? How is that supposed to keep them in church, right? Um, doesn't seem very practical at all. So what is Moses getting at? 
what Moses is actually getting at, what God's getting at is this. Is, it, is that what he literally wants us to do? No, not necessarily. What Moses is teaching us here is that teaching our children the faith and passing down the faith is not merely about transferring down knowledge to our children. That's what a lot of people think. That's why he's like, oh, hire the professional youth pastor, right? And then they'll just give sermons every week and somehow, some way, just like it'll enter into their brains and then they'll receive it, right? It's definitely part of it. Knowledge transmission is definitely part of it, but it can't be the only thing, okay? Because we all know people are not computers where you can just do a data dump, right? This is not the matrix where all of a sudden, and you go, whoa, I know Kung Fu, okay? You know, I know for Gen X and a little bit older, like, yeah, I get that reference, right? Um, it's not just about giving family lectures and sermons. Like, oh, does that mean like I have to like prepare a sermon and, and teach my kids and, you know, the Bible that way? No, no, no. It, it's not just that, right? It's not just giving family lectures or sermons about the truth about, about God or the Christian faith. What verse 7 through 9 is saying is that faith transmission happens in the routines of daily life. That as families, as parents, we actually have to show our kids the faith and not just to tell them about it, right? Show, not tell. You may have heard that, right? Show, not tell. That, they, that, that basically, just, that we have to show them the relevance of the gospel bearing out in our living, in our daily living. That our children aren't just told what to believe in or why, or why we just believe in it, but they have to see it and are taught it via our actions, right? When the virtues and values of the gospel influence our decisions and priority. So I know it's like, it just gave you this concept. Okay, what does that look like? Since parents have the biggest influence on their kids and their kids' lives more than any youth pastor or teacher, if you're a parent, your kids know, our kids know implicitly what you value, what we value. And if your value doesn't match up with what you say your value is, they can sniff out your BS. We all know this, right? If you're a parent, you know this, right? Your kids can sniff out your BS. And at the end of the day, they will chase the glory and values you really actually care about. Okay? Because we are not what we know. We are what we love. If you're a parent who loves sports and is engrossed in sports, it's highly likely one of your kids is going to end up picking up that sport because they'll either grow to love it or because they want to please you because all kids want to please their parents to some degree. Or if you're a parent who loves music, it'll be the same way. If you're a parent who cares about your kid's educational success, it's highly likely that your kid will care about their educational success because there will be daily reminders of these things. Now, I can tell you right now, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old boy. You know, his name is Toby. And there's a high probability he will like sports. Why? Because come every NBA season, dad is watching basketball and talking about basketball almost religiously. Okay? If he's a fish, this is the water he will be swimming in for the next 18 years. Okay? But I hope... My hope and my prayer is that I will be intentional in making the water he swims in saturated in the gospel more than basketball. Okay. 
And so how do we practically then make the waters that our kids swim in gospel-saturated? Okay. Um, I'm just going to just give a couple examples, right? Um, one of the things is be quick to ask for forgiveness, right? I think that's one of the hardest things about, like, one of the tenets of the, of the Christian faith is what? Forgive and ask for forgiveness, right? Because he has forgiven us. It's in the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, and so your kids, our kids, that's a foreign concept. I mean, I already, like, my son, it's funny, like, my son, right, when he, like, he bit me the other day, and I was like, oh, what are you doing? And he was, like, shamed, like, ah, and I was like, oh, okay, like, all right. And, like, he was, he's trying to get away with it, right? It's a foreign concept. They have, it has to be modeled for them. So, like, one of the ways you can do this is, like, and I'm just cribbing from, you know, Christian families that I've been around. So I know Christian families, this is what they do, it gobsmacked me, but they, once a year, they choose a day, and they intentionally choose a day where they have their kids, and they basically do like a mini retreat, and they can, the kids have freedom to tell their parents everything that they, that they did wrong in that year, right? Yeah, everything, all their grievances, all their grievances, they can tell their parents. There's one day, I was like, Really? That's, that's a little scary. And as parents, right, that's scary because, like, it's tough raising a kid. It's tough, right? And it's like your kid is then going to call you out on everything that you did wrong, right? And let's be honest, you know, as a new parent, like, I feel insecure about being a parent. So then if, if my kid calls me out, I'm going to be like, ah, I'm a horrible parent. But when I thought about what they're doing, I realized this. They are modeling and, 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 and without telling them, but showing them that their security identity is not in being a parent, but their security is being in Christ. That they can be forgiven. That even as parents, hey, I am weak and I can be weak in front of my kids so that they can see that they can be weak and seek forgiveness. Right? That's just one example. You know, other example, testify to God's work in your life, right? Maybe during family dinner, you know, you can share about how your, hard your week was, and maybe you have a problem. And you don't want to share everything, right, because, you know, they're kids. Um, so you don't want to overburden them. But maybe you can say something along the lines of, oh, I'm having, you know, daddy or mommy's having a tough time with a coworker. Can you please pray for me? Right? So then you're showing them, see, daddy needs Jesus too. Mommy needs Jesus too, right? You're letting them enter into this relationship with you, this journey. Right? Asking for prayers is, an, is, is another wonderful way, right? Um, other things you can do. Maybe you want to go on a family mission trip. You know, I served in Thailand, and one of the things the missionaries always tells me is, you know, I, I really want families to come, right, so that, the kids can see, not just like their own youth kids like doing ministry together, but they can see their parents and the other adults there together. Right. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8 shows that if we want to be serious about passing down the faith to our kids, we as parents have to think about setting a gospel culture in our homes. Okay, I know I probably laid it a little thick. If you're a parent, you probably want 
kind of want to tune me out because it probably feels like I wrapped a millstone around your neck and just added another burden to your list of parenting duties when you already feel like you're drowning. But let me tell you this. Passing down the faith is not your burden to carry alone. And a lot of times that's what it feels like, right? You know, you have these messages like, parents, do your job! Just do your job, okay? It's all on you. What I want you to tell our parents today is, yes, you have responsibilities, but you are not alone. I think that's one of, in my eight year, or in my almost decade of doing youth ministry, this is like one of the hard lessons I realized, like, oh, this is really hard even for me. How much harder is it for my parents? It's hard. You are not alone. Actually, the Bible never says for you to do it alone. You are never meant to carry this responsibility alone. Because something to remember about this passage is that even though this call to teach children falls on the parents in these verses, these sermons were not only addressed to the parents, but actually, if you think about it, these sermons, Deuteronomy is addressed to the whole nation of Israel. That the passing down of the faith wasn't just the duties of the parents. Yes, they were the primary initiators, but it was something the whole nation was to participate in. If Israel was to be a people and a nation set apart as God's people, it needed to develop its own culture and practices, especially as they were entering a new land with other people groups. That's what was going on. They needed a culture thick enough to resist the practices and the pagan practices of the other kingdoms. So, the latter, so for the latter generations, they couldn't learn to be God's people just from their parents. They needed the other members of the community to show them what it meant to be an Israelite, to show them the God who delivered them out of Egypt and why he was worthy of devotion. And so that means our children, not only do, we, do they need our parents, they need everyone else in our church. Right? And so actually this message isn't just for parents. Actually this message is for everyone inside a church. The other members of the church are just as valuable, whether if you are a recent college grad, a single young adult, or an older single adult, the children's pastor, other families, or maybe you're an empty nester. We need you all. It's an all-hands-on-deck type of thing. Why? Because they need to see other credible sources of faith being lived out. Because for any parent who has parented a teenager, and for anyone who has gone through the teenage phase, everyone probably remembers what it was like to be a teenager. You end up tuning out your parents. Right? You end up tuning out your parents. Not because teenagers hate their parents, but because when kids are on their way to adulthood, they are figuring out who they are apart from their parents. It's just a natural development stage. And faith is the same way. At a certain point, a child has to make their faith their own and not their parents. And so that means they need to have a community that shows them that this Jesus stuff isn't just some hokey thing that my parents believe in, but that they see the power of Jesus living out in the lives of their church family. Sociologists of religion call this channeling, which is basically the idea um, that 
Parents channel their children, I'm just quoting here, parents channel their children into involvements and relationships that reinforce, not replace, their more direct parental influence. Research suggests that among the most important of these channeling influences is the presence of non-family adults and religious congregations who know the children well and can engage them in talks on serious topics beyond superficial chit-chat. The more such adults are present, the more a church feels like a community or an extended family, which is itself a strong bonding force. This is according to Christian Smith, a well-known sociologist of religion. He recently wrote a book, um, and his recent study was, how do, yeah, how, what are the best practices in terms of passing down the faith? And this is what he realized. In other words, our kids need hooks to remind them of the love of Jesus. And basically, every adult here who is not the parent, you are their hooks to keep them tethered. You know, I have a friend, you know, who talks about how they, you know, after youth group, they fell away from the Lord for a while. And when you ask them, like, what made you come back to church? They would think about the youth group teacher that they had and how they were loved by them. And I was like, that's amazing. You are a hook to keep our young ones tethered to the church. So if they fall away, they can always have a lifeline to come back. So the paradigm is this. Parents, show your children why Jesus matters, not just in your talking, but also in your doing. And to everyone else, invest in our children too, because our parents need you. Our next generation needs you to show them that following Jesus is worth it. Because if you can do this for one another, not only will Revive be a strong and healthy church, it can be a balm to our community as well. And on this Father's Day, um, what I want to do is give you a picture of how this could work. And it comes from a New York Times opinion piece for Father's Day by um, um, a guy named Esau McCauley. Maybe you've heard of him. He's formerly an Anglican pastor and now an associate professor um, of New Testament at Wheaton College. And this is what he said. Um, in, in his piece, you know, he talks about how growing up he was never fond of Father's Day because he grew up without a dad because his dad was in prison. So he only had a single mother to raise him. And he says for a long time, he would tell his story of making his way out, making his way out and out of poverty without a father. And he would basically credit his, his mom for the role she played in his life. And rightfully so. But now with some perspective, in the piece he said that that story is actually incomplete. That he wouldn't have survived northwest Huntsville, Alabama, this is where he grew up, without the fatherly love of other men. And from here, I just want to quote from him in his article. He says this, When the time came to care for my own children, he has, I think, like two or three other kids of his own, I found myself drawing on what these men taught me. Becoming a father gave me a new appreciation of the formative role these men played in my life. Most, most youths who survive childhood trauma do so because they encounter love. Someone says, your life and what you become matter to me. How did fatherly affection seep into my heart? It came from my coaches and the men in my black Baptist church. And he goes on to say, 
Coach Wells wasn't the only one to guide my way. The pastor of my childhood church, Oscar Montgomery, like many other black clergy members, made it a point to celebrate nearly everything the children of the congregation did. From elementary school to college, he would announce before a crowd of nearly a thousand every child who made the honor roll or excelled in some athletic or artistic competition. It was a small but important sign that people knew and cared about what we were doing. I did not have a father to tell me that he was proud of me. I had the pastor, deacons, and other clergy members, male and female. Members of the congregation stepped in to tutor us and assist with college or job applications. They cheered us on from the stands and at our sporting events. They contended with school boards and city officials for the resources we needed. They served by being present. They were the great cloud of witnesses. That's, that's from Hebrews. A great cloud of witnesses. Their attention soothed even if, it couldn't, even if it couldn't eliminate the pain of my father's absence. I now have four kids who flood me with presents and, and draw fair to middling images of our family on white computer paper every June. Father's Day is, an, is as ordinary to them as Christmas or Thanksgiving. And I am grateful to the many black men who showed me how to be their father. Do you see it? Even though Pastor Macaulay didn't have a father, he had fathers and mothers, aunts and uncles in the church. And I'm going to guess one of the reasons he loves the church, why he, went, why he even went into ministry, is because of the culture of grace and mercy and love of Jesus that he found from his mom, who would go to church, and the people of the church itself. They were his great cloud of witnesses. To the power of the gospel. I hope and pray Revive will be a church like this to so many of our kids. But not just for our kids. But it will be a place of love and of hope and of nurturing for many a family who need it. Because this is how, and I really believe this, because this is how Revive can reach the nations of Silicon Valley. That's like one of your core things for this church, right? And why? Because this is what God has done for us in Jesus. God has proved, and I'm going to use this term, God has proved his relational equity with us by giving us his son. And I see it here. And like I said, this is like one of my church homes. When I think about Toby, I can't wait. I have a bunch of former youth kids that I feel like I've given relational equity to. <laughs> and my hope is it'll be reciprocated to my son. My hope is, as we have, you know, our students, you know, who are going off to colleges, our young adults and our older adults will say, hey, you're looking for an internship? Let me help you. 
my hope is that for our young people, I know, you're like, oh, I got to hang out with older people. Do it. Why? Because when you do it, you may learn a thing or two about what it means to be a parent. And maybe they'll, our older adults will pass that on to you so that when you're raising a kid, you'll be like, okay, this is what I remember some of our church members doing. And then when you're struggling, you're like, I don't know, and you're crying, and you're like, I'm a horrible parent, you'll call them, the empty nest, and you'll be like, I need help. And they'll offer you grace. Because at the end of the day, the church is a family. We live in a city that's very lonely where the bonds and community are afraid so much, especially post-COVID. But man, can you imagine what we could do if we really took steps of faith to build up relational equity with one another? What a bomb it would be for our children and for those around us. And so I hope Revive... Um, I really hope that we could be a church like this. Because I have experienced it here at this church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, thank you. I thank you for all the fathers and the mothers who have raised their kids. It's not easy, oh Lord. And I sympathize with them. And I pray, Lord, that Lord, they, could, they, they would know, it, it, they can come to you as a father who knows and understands and sympathizes with them. And I pray, oh Lord, would you send our, our fathers and mothers other, other people, whether it's a high school kid or, or a, an empty nester or other young adults to say, hey, I will help pick up the slack. Lord, I pray that for you know, our, 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 our church, that we would, Lord, love our children and offer them, and, and that they, we could offer our, our, our children a place where they can call this home. No matter how far they may go away, that they know that they can always return home, Lord. And Lord, we know that in this city there are many children who don't feel like they have a home. Lord, may we build up and practice being this right here, Deuteronomy 4 through 9, so that those without fathers and mothers, those without homes can come here and receive your love, O oh Lord. I thank you for this church, that that's what I got to receive, whether it was through Pastor Young or Sue Sung or through the youth kids or through men like John Har and and and. and Danny and Lord, um, my friends, Daniel and Daniel, Lord, it, I cannot be here. I cannot be standing here without the people you have set. And so um, I pray we would be a church like this, Lord. Would you lay this seed deep in our hearts? Will it take root? And may we go out into the world in love, Lord, in this manner sacrificially and faithfully, O oh Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.